Welcome to Living Free Today, a ministry of Cornerstone Fellowship in San Lorenzo, California. These podcasts are the weekly sermons of Dr. Michael L. Wilson. Please open your Bibles to Matthew 25. In Matthew 25, Jesus is meeting privately with his disciples. And he is giving them four rapid-fire parables that have to do with the end times. In this parable, it is the parable of the talents, is what it is called. A talent, back in Jesus' time, was a weight of monetary value. And today, we can pull out a dollar bill, and we can say this is a dollar. We can pull out a quarter and say this is a quarter. But if you pull out a nugget of gold or of silver, you don't say this is a dollar. You say this is two ounces of gold. It is a weight of precious metal. And it has been that way back when Jesus was around. A talent was a weight of something of value, either gold or silver, most likely. And then in this parable, it does not say what the metal was, but it has value. And the person who owns this metal is giving it to his servants or his slaves to work while he is away. This parable has to do with things that we do and how we live. And this parable and next week's parable are focused on that. And we have to be very careful to not take these two parables out of context and say, see, you are saved by works. We are not saved by works at the end of time. Jesus will not determine your salvation or not based on what you did, but on your belief. If you read through the book of Revelation, the final judgment is you go before Jesus and books are opened, which is your life. And everybody fails because nobody's living perfectly for God. But then another book is opened. It is the book of the Lamb's Book of Life. If your name is in it, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, all the other works are wiped away. And the only one that counts is you're a believer in Jesus Christ. And so when we look at that, we have to say what we do is important. In fact, it's so important that there are actually 85 verses in the New Testament telling you to do something, to obey or to work or to do something for God. And so it is, a, it is a theme, if you will, in the New Testament that we are to look at the opportunities and to do something. And that is what this parable is about. And so what is the parable? It just says there's a man. It doesn't say his wealth. It doesn't say his value. It doesn't say his position. But clearly he has some level of wealth because he has servants and slaves and he has talents of precious metal that he can lend, that he can give somebody stewardship over for the purpose of making more while he goes on another journey that he has more money to do with. And so on this one, there are three people and one gets five talents, one gets two talents, one gets one talent. Now there's another parable in Luke 
where they get minas, which is another layer of or another value of money. But the context and the teaching is actually different from these two, so that is why this one is considered a separate parable, not a restating of the same parable. And so in this parable, he gives value. And the verse that is very important, to one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, each according to his ability. The person who is giving the wealth, the person who is giving the work, knows the ability of his servants, knows what they can and cannot do. There is no judgment. He doesn't call the one who got one talent worthless at the very beginning. He didn't say, you worthless slave who can't do anything, who has no ability. Here's one talent. No, he waits until he finds out that the guy didn't do anything with the talent. And so if we look at this and we just look at that phrase, we can come to the conclusion that the way God deals with us is according to our ability. And we are not people who envy one another's ability. We are not somebody who is jealous for another's position. We realize that wherever we are at, wherever we are situated at this point in our life, we can do something for God, whether it be five, two, or one. And so the person who got five, it says in 16, he who had received the five talents went at once and traded. And the verb traded is a continual, it is a nonstop, it is a starting at a specific point in time when he got the talents and it does not end until the guy comes back from the journey. And so this is a consistent, this is a continual work. It isn't necessarily a hard work when it says traded. That means he's going to the market and he's buying this silk for some amount of money. And he goes to another town perhaps where they don't have silk. And he's able to sell the silk for an increase, for a profit. Then he takes the profit and buys something else. And he comes back to this town where they don't have that. And he will sell it for a profit. And over time, he was able to double the number of talents or the double the weight of important, valuable stuff. And the same way with a guy who had two. It doesn't say what he did, but it says likewise. And so the one who has two actually traded it and worked it and got more. And the one who had one had this view of the master that he was a hard person, that he didn't reap where he sowed, he didn't gather, uh, he didn't uh, harvest where he didn't gather uh, past seeds. And in so the two, the two, five and the two, work it, trade it, do something and get an increase. But the person who had one buried it, which is... Eh, not necessarily something good to do. And so after a long time, it actually says that in Scripture, verse 19, now after a long time, and we can look at when Christ was here and how long it's been, and it's been 2,000 years, and we could, as we put this into a modern interpretation, we can say, yeah, Christ has been gone a long time. And so the person who has one buried it, when the man comes back, 
He gets five more from the five. He gets two more from the two. And the one says, no, I buried it. And he says, you're judged by your own words. I am a hard person. He takes the one, gives it to the one who has ten now and sends the person into outer darkness where there is wailing and gnashing of teeth. And so what do we do with this? Who are we in this? First of all, this is a story about Jesus Christ and us. We are the servants, uh, not just us here, but everybody in the whole world. And to know that, we can look through the rest of Scripture. People are made by God. God makes everybody. God knits us together, it says in Psalm 139. God knows our innermost being before we are born, we can look in the mirror every day and say with all truth and honesty, I am a handmade creation of God. And each person has abilities and talents and skills, some financial standing, some position in society, some living situation, some any kind of situation you have, all the Thousands of things that define you in society are all handpicked and made by God. As I have been told when I was a kid, God don't make no junk. You are not a mistake of God. You are a handmade creation bundle of everything from God. And you have a certain amount of abilities that are different from other people. You have a certain amount of talents and skills that are different from other people. Nobody has the exact same abilities, talents, and skills that you have. And then you're living in a certain area. You're living in Alameda County. And people who may be very similar to you but are living in Tennessee are then very different because of their situation, because of their location and their neighborhood. And so you are unique and you are wonderful and you are a great person that God has given stuff to you according to your ability. You may not know everything you can do, but God does. You may not know all of the talents and skills and abilities that you have, but God does. God knows what you can do. God knows what you enjoy more than other things. You may have an idea about a hobby or something that you really enjoy. God knows what you really enjoy. And he's able to give abilities along that way. And so the person who got five and the person who got two and the person who got one, they were expected to do what they were able to do and what they enjoyed doing, and what they woke up in the morning and thought, it would be fun to do this, and they were able to do it. If you're a Christian, you also have spiritual gifts, one or more. There's discussion on that. And with the spiritual gifts, you have something that you can do to help equip and build the body of Christ. So spiritual gifts work best and exclusively, actually, in a church setting, in a Bible study setting. And so you have a uniqueness 
in the world and God knows it and God knows it fully and completely. And so he gives you the position and the opportunities to match that. Okay? God is not a one-size-fits-all God. He did not take a cookie cutter and make seven and a half billion cookies that all look the same. Each one is a unique creation. Each one is a unique ability. Each one is unique. And God being an infinite God, being bigger than we are, then he has the ability to put us in situations where yeah, it may be uncomfortable, it may be a challenge, but it is something that we can do because of our ability. And so the one who had five was able to do some things that he enjoyed, was able to do some things that move things forward, and he was able to give a return. Now the question we have to ask, and I think a lot of people can go way off track with this. What is the uh, increase that we're supposed to do? What is the increase that we are supposed to have? We have to understand that we are responsible for what we do. We are not responsible for the results. If you witness to somebody, say you go to the grocery store and there's a person who smiles at you under their mask, and they're able to, you, you think, okay, here's an opportunity, and you say, I go to this great church on Sunday, I would like you to come too, to this great church. It's across from the gym, and da 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 da, -da and you tell them. After that, after you say that, you're done. When God speaks to you at the end of time, he will never, ever, ever speak to you about what they did. He will only speak to you about what you did in that situation. I am only responsible for what I do. I happen to go to the gym that's across the street that way, Crunch Gym, and I'm friendly with the people who are behind the counter. I greet them as I go in every morning. I greet them as I leave every day. And they are able, they have the little check-in thing on their screen so they know my name and they say, hi, Michael, and I say hi to them and we talk about stuff. And every Friday afternoon, every Friday afternoon, or Friday after I'm done with the gym, I'm exiting the gym, I remind them that there's a church right across the street. When I first told them that, two of them were surprised. They didn't know there's a church across the street. But you can see it from the windows. I say, look, there's a church across the street, 1045, Sunday morning, love to see you. And they say, okay, great. A lot of people say, okay, great, when I invite them to church. And nobody from the gym is here today, so they missed, okay? But I keep telling them every Friday. I try to tell them Friday because it gives them less time to forget. If I invite them to church on Monday and don't say anything else, it gives them a longer time to forget. So it's kind of a planning on what I do. But it's planned. It's purposeful. I could go in there and be grumpy and... You know, to everybody, but I try to be friendly. I try to 
Look at the fruits of the Spirit. You have love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, kindness, faithfulness, and self-control. I try to be kind. I try to be gentle to people. And what that does in heavenly accounting, and I don't know how this works, is there is tracking of how we share Christ. There is tracking of when we are good to people. There is tracking when we are gentle to people, when we are kind to people, when we are faithful about our commitments, when we are self-controlled about our desires and our selfish desires. And I don't know how God says, yes, you've doubled the abilities I've given you, like it is in this parable, but there is an increase. We can give back to God opportunities and behaviors and things we said. And when it's all said and done, I think God is going to say, hey, enter the, it says in here, enter the joy of your master. Uh, that's a euphemism for heaven. You get to go to heaven if you're living for Christ. Now, what about the guy who had one? The guy who had one, God gives abilities and talents and skills and financial benefits and position to everybody in the world. Everybody in the world is a special, unique, able creation of God. But if a person does not believe in God, and if you look at what this person said, this person had three views about God which are incorrect. And the views were that this person is a hard person. In other words, this person's not nice. This person is not a good manager. This person is a hard manager, expecting too much of their people. This person steals, is a taker, because they reap what they do not sow. They gather what they do not cast away. And so this person had a corrupt view of God. And there are those today who are very talented, who are very skilled in a particular area, but they perhaps don't believe that God exists or they believe that God is so much love that universalism is what's going to happen, that they have this incorrect view of God that does not include Jesus Christ, but yet they are very skilled, they are taking the skills and abilities that God has given them for his glory and they're burying it in the ground. If I am a uh, great singer, for example, and I can sing opera, but I don't believe in God and I don't sing anything for the glory of God, I do it all for my glory, I am taking the singing ability that was given by God, that was put in me by the hand of God, and I am burying it in the ground. And at the end of time, God will talk to those 
who had a singing ability and did nothing for God because they don't believe in God, and they will be judged on how they use the ability and the skill for God because they don't have a belief in Jesus Christ, because their name is not written in the Lamb's book of life. They only have their own works to rest upon. And so God, being a just God, will only judge them based on their own works. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you have an umbrella over it called Jesus Christ and his blood and your works are sanctified so that you can enter into heaven. And so when it says the joy of the master, you look at this and the person who had five said, I have five more. And the master says, great. The person who had two said, look, I have two more the master did not say, you are worthless, you should have made five. The master did not say, it's terrible, you did terrible work. I gave you two and you only gave me two more. That's terrible work. He didn't say that. He says, great job. Why did he say great job to the one who had two? Because he gave according to their ability. God's expectations of you are the most honest and pure and solid expectations of anybody in the universe. We can have high expectations of ourselves and therefore feel bad when we fail. We can have low expectations of ourselves and therefore feel great when we succeed. We can, have, we can deceive ourselves with our expectations of ourselves, God doesn't. God's expectations of you are perfect and holy and right on the money, and you will always live up to God's expectations. I have met people who say, I am such a failure, I no longer follow God because God hates me. Because I'm such a failure, because I slept around in college, or because I stole this, or because I lied on this application, or because of sins in the past, they see God as somebody who is judging them now. And in doing that, they will not live for God. They are going to bury their abilities in the ground. Now, it says that you should have put it in the bank, if you have one and you put it in the bank, what does that mean? If you put it in the bank, you are actually hiring somebody else to work it for you, which is okay since it says that you can do that. Uh, people who have studied history say back in Jesus' day, you could get about 6% simple interest. They didn't know compound interest yet. So if you put your one talent in the bank for a week, or for 10 years, you still got 6%. And so if you put one talent in, when the master came back, he could have given him 1.06 talents, which is something, which is some kind of increase. And you say, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, that doesn't seem right to hire somebody else to do the work for you. And I thought about how this works. How does working for God as a banker is something that we could do. 
I think the best way to look at it is there are, there have been and there are people who can no longer come to church because of distance or because of health or because of age. And when I go to the post office, every once in a while, there's a check from one of them. They are mailing in. They're not here. They're not able to participate in the Christian community that we have. But they send in their money to the bankers, as it were, and, they, and we are using that money to further the kingdom of God. And I think when God looks at that, he realizes and likes the fact that there are some who cannot be in a physical room with other Christians because of whatever situation they're in but they are able to participate. They are able to further the kingdom of God because of the financial benefits that they have been given. And so everybody has something they can do, I think is what is being said here, is that there is nobody who is allowed or excused to not do anything for God. Now, you're thinking... Well, I'm not, a, I'm not a pastor. I don't have a church. I can't, get, you know, I can't do that sort of thing. God gives us abilities based on our ability. And there are people who can sing, and I cannot that well. And there are people who are car mechanics, and I'm not. And there are people who work on internet stuff, and I don't. And there's all sorts of people who are doing these sorts of things while God has put me over here to do this sort of thing. And to say, because I'm not that person or because I'm not you, I can't work for God is a misunderstanding. The person who had two talents didn't say, because I only have two talents, I can't do the work of a five-talent guy. No, he accepted it. He accepted honestly his ability and was able to do what God wanted him to do. When he turns it back in, God is overjoyed of the person who had five who made five more. God is overjoyed of the person who had two and made two more, but he understands that not doing anything for God is worthy of eternal punishment and so whatever situation you're in, and I think we can honestly look at that, we can honestly look at our lives and not compare to anybody, not compare to anything that's out there, not compare to history, but look at where I'm at now and saying, what am I doing for God? I can do anything for God. A person who works in fast food can work in fast food for God. Everything you do can be for God. It all depends on your motivation and your mindset for a lot of people. Am I doing this to rebuild my kingdom? Am I doing this to advance my own agenda? Or am I through prayer and Bible study doing all of what is considered perhaps menial work or secular work, doing it for God? I will end then with James. Everybody looks at this and says, what place does work have 
in the Christian life. James talks about it in James 2, starting in 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, but does not have works? Can that faith save him if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food? And one of you says to them, go in peace. Be warm and be filled without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one? You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works, is useless. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his work. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not alone by faith, by faith alone, and in the same way was not Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart works is dead. When we look at somebody, somebody comes to the church and says, I want to be in leadership. I want to run the show. First thing I will do is I will look at how they live. I will look at how they treat people. I will look at their works. I will look at what they do. And what they do will either prove or disprove their faith. If somebody comes to me and says, I'm a devout Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, and they're mean and they're selfish, and they're a taker and not a giver, and they want everybody to serve them, I will say, you are not a follower of Jesus Christ. Either you're not saved, or you have such a misunderstanding about the Christian life, and it gives me an opportunity to then work with them and see if I can improve their situation. If somebody comes to me and says, I want to partner with you in ministry, and people have said that. They've come to the door and said, I want to partner with you in ministry. I have an opportunity to say, what have you done? Don't tell me what you believe. Show me what you have done. And very few of them, in fact, I can only think of one, who actually had a lifestyle that explained, I want to partner with you in ministry. They had works, they had a lifestyle, they had the stuff they do which showed a gentleness, a kindness, a goodness, a faithfulness, peace and joy and love and self-control. These are the things that need to come out in our doing. The works are not all fantastic, public, wonderful. They are all according to your ability. God will never give you a work that you are unable to do. God will never bring you into an opportunity that you are unable to accomplish. He knows our ability. He knows what we're capable of. He knows what we're doing. 
And he will give us work that matches that. And our choice at that point is to either do it or to bury it in the ground and say, I don't believe God and I'm not going to do it. Let us pray. Lord God Almighty, I just praise your name. That the Christian life is a complete package. That the Christian life is one where we are, our walk needs to match our talk where what we say needs to match what we do. I pray that you would give us an understanding in our own lives, each individual, how our talk is matching our walk, how what we're doing is matching what we say. Lord, I pray that our works will match our words and that going forward we will be able and willing to take whatever God gives us and to do it to the fullness of our ability. Lord, we thank you for this, and we know that all of this is only possible through the power of the Holy Spirit and the blood of Christ. And we ask all this through the blood of Christ. Amen. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 180 Llewellyn Boulevard, San Lorenzo, California. Our Sunday morning service is at 1045 a.m. Our website is livingfreetoday.org and our phone number is 510-278-2622. May God continue to bless you as you serve your King. God bless.